you have to be your biggest fan. And when things are really tough and they're really rough and nothing's working, but there's something inside of you that says, no, just have to follow that because you don't know who you're going to meet. Podcasting from the Bluegrass State in the city of Frankfurt, you are now tuned in to Conversations with the Dean. Welcome, Conversations with the Dean, a place where every conversation tells a different story, roundtable discussions, and conversations with insight from voices within our community. So please make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all streaming platforms. And I'm your host, the Dean. Joining me today to discuss her career in child welfare and her personal journey, the Director of the Protection and Permanency Division of the Cabinet for Health and Family Services here in Kentucky, a mother, a wife, and someone who I admire, Ms. Krista Bell. Krista, thanks you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is a different experience right here, me interviewing my supervisor. Well, this is a different experience for me. This is my first time uh, doing a podcast. <laughs> well, and what I do is I start every conversation off with a random question, okay? Okay. Have you ever had a bad hair dye experience? Yes, I have. You have to tell us about it. <laughs> well, so I, ha- I have a lot of hair. Right. Um, and it gets quite expensive to have it done at the salon. So I thought that I would give it a try myself. And I ordered a hair color uh, online and it was delivered. And it was like fire truck red. <laughs> it wasn't just like Auburn like my normal hair is. It was fire truck red. And it takes a while to recover from fire truck red. Yes. <laughs> so did you did you learn from that mistake? Have you done that again? Yeah. I have not. No, it only took one time to learn. Right. So, so you currently live in Georgetown, correct? Yes, that's but you, correct. But you're originally from Burlington, Kentucky, right? I am. I am from Burlington. That's where I grew up. Tell me a little bit about growing up in Boone County. Well, I actually um, enjoyed growing up in Boone County quite a bit. Um, When I was younger, I sort of felt like it was the best of both worlds because it was a rural community and a small town. So it had that small town um, feel, but very close to um, Cincinnati and sort of, you know, Burlington, Boone County is kind of like a bedroom community for um, the Cincinnati and the greater Cincinnati area. So, you know, access to some of the perks of being near a big city as well. So I, I enjoyed uh, growing up in Boone County. So so let me ask you, um, how old were you? At what point did you know your direction in regards to what you wanted to do coming out of high school? So when I came out of high school, I actually had an interest in journalism and I went to school at University of Louisville and um, had originally intended to major in communications, but I took a couple of psychology classes and that really piqued my interest. So I graduated with a degree in psychology and there's not a lot you can do with a bachelor's degree in psychology. So I ended up going to work in accounting, <laughs> okay. which, which definitely is not what I went to school for. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it was a job, but it wasn't really my heart. And so I thought a lot about um, what I felt like my um, purpose was and what 
um, I felt like was the calling more to my heart. And I went back to school to get a master's degree in social work. Um, and as soon as I started uh, going back to school, I applied for a position um, with the state in Child Protective Services. And that was back in 1997. So, so tell me what drew you to the field of child welfare. You said, you know, the county wasn't for you. It was a job. It got you through. But it, you just didn't have a feel for that. Right, right. Well, probably my personal experiences um, drew me to child welfare um, after my, my parents divorced when I was about eight years old. And after um, my parents divorced, my mom had a relationship with a man who um, was not a good person to have in our lives. And I was um, a victim of child maltreatment myself. And so I think that is my um, personal reason for wanting to help other children and families. So let's let's talk about your career a little bit. You you spoke about um, the universities that you went to. You have a BS in psychology, and uh, also a master's degree in social work from the University of Kentucky. Let, let's talk about that first initial transition into that social work field. How was it? Um, so social work um, provides you much more practical skills than probably psychology does. Psychology is really focused a lot, or at least um, when I was pursuing my undergraduate degree was really focused on lots of theories um, and philosophies. Social work gives you very practical skills for engaging with families, um, for working with families. When I started working on my degree in social work, that I really... Um, I felt like I had found my purpose, that this was really what I was um, supposed to do and meant to do and really taught me um, ways to engage with families in meaningful ways to meet them where they are um, and really to be focused on solutions um, and to empower families to be part of that solution. So it's not just... Um, you know, as a social worker, it's not your job to tell a family what is right for them, but it's your job to listen to families um, and help guide them, um, you know, to to meet their goals and to have their needs met. So no, no longer on the front line, so to speak, um, kind of give us to the path to the position in which you are in now in regards to the director of the Protection and Permanency Division. Sure. So I started out doing, I guess, what everyone thinks about when they think of child protective services, which was actually um, responding to reports of child abuse and neglect and going out and working with families. Um, but about four or five years into my career, I started working on the foster care and adoption side, um, which I which I really loved. Um, you know, if there's um, you know, in addition to children being able to be maintained in their homes safely or going back home, you know, adoption is the other um, path to, you know, a, a happier ending in child welfare. So I enjoyed doing the adoption work um, quite a bit, um, but became, then became a supervisor um, and then came to central office in Frankfurt where I had the opportunity to work on policies. Um, and I, I've kind of gone back and forth a few times between the field working directly with families and then back to Frankfurt working on policies. 
the great thing about working at the policy level is you have the opportunity um, to impact changes that can um, benefit a lot of children and families, um, but then you don't have as many opportunities to work directly with children and families. So I think that's a lot of the reason that I, I kind of went back and forth a little bit um, between Frankfurt and back out to the field. And this is my third time actually being in the Division of Protection and Permanency um, over over the years. So. Um, it was just a little bit of back and forth for a while, but each time that I went back and forth, it was at in a different position. So when I went back to the field the last time, it was in a management um, position where I had the opportunity to mentor younger staff as well. So, um, and now I'm the, I've been the director of division of protection and permanency for two years now. So in a career that spanned 20 plus years, tell me the biggest thing you wish you had known when you first started your career? Oh my goodness. I think about that every day <laughs> that I wish, I wish um, that I knew then what I know now. Um, I think that um, when I started as a frontline worker, I think there was a lot more emphasis on trying to save children from bad things that were happening in their families. Um, and sometimes that's necessary, but it's really the smallest percentage of the cases um, that we have. Um, now there's so much um, greater understanding, not just on my part, but I think on a lot of um, child welfare professionals parts that we really need to help children stay in their families um, rather than trying to, you know, save them from their families. We, we're really going to, you know, help um, make a bigger impact when we figure out how to keep families safely together in their own homes rather than bringing children into the out-of-home care system. Um, most of the reports that we get in child welfare or are for neglect, it's more than 75%, um, which are things that you know can be addressed um, typically through services and um, connecting families to resources. It's such a very small percentage of cases um, that are, you know, the uh, severe abuse that you hear about in the media. So most families really just need additional supports and access to services. Since you brought that up, you know, things that appear to be and things that are reality. What are some common myths about your profession? Oh, my goodness. So I think that's one of them. I think, you know, unfortunately, the kinds of um, stories of child maltreatment that hit the, the media are the absolute extremes. And that is not um, the typical that's not what the typical family um, looks like um, that that we work with. Um, I think there are um, myths that children are better served um, away from their families if another family is more affluent or can, can, can provide them more tangible things, which we know is absolutely not true. It's traumatic for children to be removed um, from their families, um, regardless of the circumstances, really. And it should never be about, you know, whether a foster or adoptive family can provide more, um, but only about whether a child is safe, um, you know, in the family that that they were born to. Um, I think that there are 
well, one of the myths that I hear a lot is that there's some incentive um, mm. for the state to remove children from their families, and there's absolutely not. Um, I, I think some of that myth stems from the fact that there is federal reimbursement when children um, are in foster care. The state can submit for some federal dollars, but it's such a small percentage of the actual cost. So there's no there's no money made in child welfare uh, for certain. But I think that you know that is a myth that has been perpetuated over the years. Um, actually, you know it's very costly. Um, for states when children have to come into um, foster care. Um, so there's definitely, you know, that's a myth. There's definitely no um, financial incentive uh, for a child to be removed from their home. Um, I do think that sometimes there's um, still a feeling, you know, from people who may be interested in child welfare that, um, that that they're going to save the world, that they're going to, you know, uh, save uh, children from horrific abuse. But again, that's such a small percentage of um, the reports that we get. And really, um, the focus is on trying to help families and keep families intact. How, how do how do you get that information to the public public so there is a better understanding of what the agency does i think so i think over the last um few years i think that the cabinet has done a lot better job with the use of social media um for whatever reason for i feel like years if not a decade there was some reluctance um, to use social media platforms to try to share information and dispel myths and try to paint um, a better picture of a picture of the services that the cabinet actually provides and um, I'm really happy about the fact that we've really embraced that over the last three or four years but I because I think it is a great opportunity to share more information about um, what we actually do um, I think that we're doing a much better job of having things like forums and town halls um, where we actually um, interact either with families or young people that we serve or the general public or foster parents or adoptive parents and allow opportunities to ask questions, um, provide information, um, seek feedback. Um, about the services that we provide. I think we have um, used virtual platforms um, a lot better more recently to have um, an exchange of information that not only allows us to communicate better about um, what our goals are in terms of um, prioritizing the needs of families, um, but also to seek feedback from others, um, which, you know, is important to ensure that we continue to constantly improve our services. So let, let me ask you, um, knowing what you know now, what, what advice would you give to someone wanting to pursue a career such as yours? Because, you know, like I said, when you have those type of myths out there, you know, a lot of career professionals will go in a different direction just based on misinformation. Sure. Um, I think that I would um, certainly share uh, 
information about the kinds of services that we that we truly provide. Um, I think a lot of times when um, young people or young professionals are interested in coming into this field that they're, they want to do so because um, they love children and they want to provide services to children, which is great because that's necessary, um, but they also have to love families and want to provide services to families. So I think that's the point that I would emphasize the most is that um, you're your most the majority of your time is probably going to be spent um, providing services to adults um, to mothers and fathers um, relatives um, as much so if not more so um, than children so that would be one of the big things um, the other thing that i would share is this is um, a field that has a huge learning curve um, so there's so much um, that you have to know not just about you know good social work practice but also about the legal aspects about um, mental health and behavioral health aspects um, and i mean 24 years later i'm still learning so it's a very long learning curve but lots of opportunities for um, professional growth and even if um, there's an interest in child welfare and it's not necessarily something that um, a young social worker wants to do for two decades, I think it creates a, a tremendous foundation for anything else that that person would be interested in um, in social work. Um, like you just said, 24 years, um, a long time. But tell me some of the things that have been very rewarding for you in regards to your career. Um, so I think certainly when I think, you know, back to my work, um, with families, I think that there are, um, a number of stories that touch my heart, um, stories, you know, of families that probably lots of people didn't think that they would be successful or didn't think they could overcome whatever, um, challenges that, um, they were facing at the time. And then they did. Um, and I think that there are some stories of adoption, um, that are, um, that I, that I have found rewarding as well, finding a forever family, um, for a child who perhaps had given up hope, um, on having a family. Um, but, in more recent years, um, I'm happy. I'm, I'm proud of the leadership that I've been able to provide that I feel like has made a difference in terms of um, our priorities in the child welfare system. Um, leadership in terms of really um, focusing on providing prevention services so children don't have to come into care at all so that they can remain safely with their families. Um, We've also focused a lot in recent years on services for transition age youth. Um, we know that um, youth who leave foster care without returning back home to their birth families or without being adopted, that they have really bad outcomes. They're more likely to be homeless. They're more likely to be unemployed, incarcerated, um, to start parenting themselves at a very young age. They're more likely to be involved in um, in relationships where there's intimate partner violence. Um, and we have really made that a priority because that's obviously not what we want for young people for whom we're responsible. I mean, wait, they've had no control over the fact that they came into foster care and, and we owe them something better than that. We owe them a brighter future than that. 
Um, and so I'm really proud of what I feel like is the leadership that I've been able to provide to put better quality services to really focus on ensuring that um, young people don't leave care without a committed adult who is willing to make a lifelong commitment to them. And it doesn't necessarily have to be legally through adoption, um, but we've even added that to policy that if a youth is not going to be adopted, that we go through a process with them. So to help them identify um, positive, supportive um, adults in their life who are going to be there so that they have a place to spend Christmas, that they have somebody to call when their car breaks down on the side of the road or when they need cash or something bad happens or a relationship fails. Um, and it makes, I think it makes all the difference. Having one positive adult support that you can contact no matter what challenge you face um, makes all the difference in the world for these young people who have had challenges throughout their childhood and teen years. And coming from a person who seems to have been influential to a lot of lives over the years, tell me some people who have been influential to you in regards to your career. Mm, that's a great question. Um, I've been really fortunate. I think I've had a lot of really great um, role models along the way. I mean, even thinking back um, a couple of decades ago, um, you know, as I said, this is sort of a lifelong um, journey in terms of learning, and I've had lots of um, good people to, to learn from. Um, I... Um, had a supervisor, you know, very early on when I first started in foster care and adoption. Um, and she, one of the things that she pointed out to me is that adoption is born of loss. So you think of adoption as this happy ending. It's a happy story. And it is a happy story as compared to the alternative um, of, you know, going through foster care without ever having a permanent family, but adoption is born of loss. So um, really, I mean, she really guided me to think about different perspectives about, you know, that children have in care. Um, and she was a fabulous supervisor. Um, I had another um, supervisor, Grace Akers. Um, she's now the executive director of St. Joseph's Children Ho Children's Home, but she was my um, service region administrator for six years um, when I was an SRAA in Southern Bluegrass Service Region. I learned a lot from her as well. Um, I, um, you know, there have been people in leadership within the cabinet. Um, you know, Eric Clark was um, a more recent um, commissioner. Um, and, you know, there are things that I learned from him as well. There, I, I still quote some of the things that, that he used to say um, frequently. So I don't know that I can name um one person necessarily, but I feel like I am constantly learning and growing and I um, appreciate um, just opportunities from so many people to um, think about things from different perspectives and really learn and grow. Um, but there have been, I think, a number of people that have really um, taught me um, I guess have helped me to increase my compassion and empathy and to think about things from the perspective um, of families and um, 
to learn more about servant leadership. So I think, you know, that's one of the things that's really important to me as well is um, my job at this point in my career is not just to um, to do the best that we can to serve children and families, but also to mentor younger workers because, you know, what is, what is um, the vision and direction of our agency going to look like you know, even after I'm gone. So I think, you know, concepts of servant leadership, um, I've learned from previous supervisors that I've had. Um, and it's hard, like, it gets hard to name one or two or probably even five. <laughs> right. Because there have, been a, there have been a number that I think have, you know, had a really positive influence on me and helped to shape um, who I am as a professional. And with that, we are going to take a quick break. It's Coach Malik capital city cyclones make sure you are checking out the cyclones podcast streaming on all platforms apple Podcasts, google play and spotify also www.cyclonespodcast.podbean.com great interviews and insights from players and coaches capital city cyclones where skill development leaders And we are back. Conversations with the Dean. We have Miss Krista Bell with us. So let me ask you, what are some things that you are working on to improve about yourself? Um, well, I have been trying to exercise more. That uh, makes two of us. Yes. <laughs> being, close up, being close up in the house all the time. Um, you know, the bright side is that I love the commute to work, but the, the downside is that I'm getting a lot less movement in my life these days yes. unless I am uh, being purposeful about that. So um, certainly trying to exercise more. Um, I have um, really been thinking a lot about how I can be a positive influence to others, not just professionally, but also personally. Um, I have really struggled as of late. Of course, you know, we're in the midst of a pandemic, but we're also, um, you know, during a period of time where social justice and equity is at the forefront. Um, and, I, you know, I've really been doing a lot of soul searching about how I am a positive influence and a role model and the things that I can do that can be meaningful, um, you know, to do the right things in, in terms of um, the conversation we should all be having about social justice and equity. Um, I, I, I'm frustrated with social media. I'm not sure that anybody's going to change anybody else's mind about anything through social media. No. But really, I mean, really been doing a lot of so, soul searching about, you know, what is the right thing to do and what are the things that, that can be done that are meaningful and make a difference and, um, you know, perhaps open, open eyes and hearts and, um, you know, just, just to make a difference. Let me ask you, tell me something right now that you are deeply proud of in your life. Well, I am, um, deeply proud of my children. Um, for certain I have, um, two, uh, younger sons by birth. Um, and then my husband and I have two older daughters that became my daughters when we married. Um, and they're adults now. Um, and I look at the, um, 
the kinds of people that they are and the the, the statements that they make about social justice and it makes me feel like I, I have done something yes. right. Um, so um, I am deeply proud of them. Um, I am proud of um, my accomplishments through work. Um, I know that you said personal, but it. I think when you're in um, child welfare, sometimes the personal and the professional um, in some ways blend together in terms of values and, um, you know, the things that you want to make a focus of your life and the ways that you want to have impact. You know, you were talking earlier about um, when people, when young children come out of their original families, how important how important is that family structure to young children um, to make positive strides in their lives? Uh, it's critically important for children to have healthy attachments when they're young, someone that they can look up to, um, to be able to form trusting relationships. Um, and most children do that in their birth families when they're very, very young. Um, but you know, sometimes that there there are reasons that that can't happen, whether it's because of um, substance use disorders or because of um, mental health issues or, you know, other challenges that a family may be facing. It may be difficult for that parent to, you know, focus on that child's needs. And, um, you know, it's extremely important when children do um, have to live somewhere other than with their birth families that they're provided stability and they're provided that opportunity to um, form a healthy relationship with another caring adult. Um, I think that's, you know, one of the reasons that foster care has historically had such a negative um, negative reputation. It was probably well-earned. That negative reputation was probably well-earned historically because when children bounce around from place to place to place to place, they don't ever learn how to have healthy relationships. Mm. And so um, I, I do think that, you know, we do a lot better um, with that nowadays and understand the importance of that stability and understand the importance of um, the necessity of children having to have a caring, loving relationship with a stable person, not person after person after person and moving from place to place. So um, it is critically important. It's how we learn to have healthy relationships as adults. Um, and so, it, you know, if that if we can't do the things that are necessary to make it possible for a child and their birth family, then we have to do the things that are necessary um, to make it possible for them to have a healthy relationship with another caring adult. That's right. Tell me a dream of yours that you've never said out loud. Um, I don't know if I want to say this one because I'm not sure at this point in my life that it's going to happen. Uh, but I've been thinking about a lot more. I'm really a very, um, I'm an outdoorsy person, so I like to, um, to hike and I used to, I used to go whitewater rafting all the time and rock climbing and rappelling. And I used to dream of, um, hiking the Appalachian trail. Like that was my dream when I was in my twenties. Um, and then, you know, I started my career and then, you know, children came along and it seemed less and less like that was going to happen. <laughs> 
and I started um, following somebody recently who is right now hiking the Appalachian Trail, and, I'm, and, and this person just retired. I was like, well, maybe I can still do that. So I may not be able to do it like from start to finish, but maybe at this point I can still do it in sections right. <laughs> or something. It, some way. <laughs> it is never too late. It is never too late. Tell, tell me something recently that you changed your mind about. Hmm. That's a hard one. <laughs> I don't know. This may require some thought. <laughs> I mean, I change my mind like daily about what to wear. Or, <laughs> like all those insignificant things, what to have for dinner, um, what to do on the weekend. I'm trying to think if there's anything significant that I've changed my mind about. I am getting close to, I'm at the point that I'm thinking a lot about um, retirement and mm. what that next chapter of my life um, looks like. So that may be the most um, significant thing that I've changed my life or changed my mind about recently is um, I was kind of at the point that I thought that um, I would retire soon and move on to um, something a little bit different. Um, but I think I'm going to stay just a little bit longer, um, with child welfare. So, um, and I'm sure that even at the point that I do officially retire from the state, I'm sure that I'll, I'll do something else in child welfare. Um, but that's probably the, the most significant thing that I've changed my mind about recently. I think this question that I'm going to ask you is going to get so many different answers throughout the course of this podcast, but I think it's very significant. How do you define success? Oh gosh, that's a really great question. I think um, success is defined by what I was speaking about before. When you um, set can set the course for something positive to have positive impacts on others. Um, but you plant the seeds for that. So you don't necessarily have to carry that out yourself. But success is leaving your legacy and providing um, mentorship and providing guidance and um, providing service to those that come after you so that um, they can continue on that path uh, of good, of, of helping others, of helping um, others to overcome their challenges to be successful. So I think um, success is not so much what you accomplish personally, but what you provide the foundation for, for others to accomplish after you. I think so many times success is aligned with finances and like for our youth that gives them a really blurry um, perception of what success could be because, you know, you you might be successful in regards to what you do, how you do it, how you're helping people. But by society standards, you're not successful because you're not rich. You don't have the big house. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And I don't, I, we're never going to get rich in social work. That's for sure. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, so you mentioned some outdoors things that you like to do. 
Um, what's something that you love to do, but you just don't have time to do it? Oh, gosh. Um, so I think if I had more time, I would probably do more um, gardening. And um, I would exercise more for sure. <laughs> uh, gardening is one of the things that I really like to do that does go by, by the wayside just because of not enough time. Um, but I would, so I, I do go hiking, um, but it ends up being like, you know, four or five, six times a year. If I had more time, it would be, you know, a couple times a month for sure. Um, so I think those are the two big things, probably more hiking and more gardening if I had more time. All right. So we, we talked about a, a lot in regards to your career. We've talked about, um, some things in regards to your personal life. Tell me something you're curious about right now. Oh, wow. <laughs> hmm. Well, I'm curious about when this, uh, when there's going to be a vaccine. Yes. <laughs> so yes. we can move past this pandemic. Um, and I, you know, our family has tried really hard to do all the things we're supposed to be doing and, you know, following the rules that we're supposed to be following, but I think we're at the point that everyone is ready to move past this um, for certain. Um, I am curious, just for, I mean, for a number of reasons. So part of it is about the pandemic. Part of it is about the election, mm -hmm. which, you know, I see as a turning point one way or another for our country. Um, and regardless of, you know, what your politics are, I think everyone can agree that, um, you know, unfortunately, I think we're more, more polarized and divided now than I can remember in any um, recent time. Um, and so I think, you know, depending on what happens over the next um, three or four months, I think, you know, has a lot of implications for what our lives look like a year from now or, or beyond that. So I am curious to see, you know, what the next four to six months holds for us. I think that the climate um, in our society right now is what pushed me to do this podcast, because I know that I work around a lot of professional people. I want this to be a platform for individuals to talk about their career and to talk about their personal lives and be free to say what they feel. I think that's great. And I think, you know, social media is challenging. I know that, you know, I, I don't post a ton on social media anyway. When I do um, post something, it's either something, you know, that I really want to share with regard to my family or something that I feel really strongly about that I feel like, um, you know, defines my values or defines, you know, who I am as a person. And, you know, several weeks back, I was posting quite a bit on social media. And then it just everything that I was seeing on social media and, um, you know, some of the reactions that I got, it became abundantly clear that social media is probably not the avenue that is going to make um, the, the, the kind of change um, that that we would hope <laughs> that it would. Right. Um, so I think, you know, I think opportunities for conversation, um, I think, are certainly more impactful um, than, you know, what you than the, what you traditionally think of as social media. So we've we've covered a lot, and I want you to tell me something that 
you failed at, but kind of put you on a different course to be better? Hmm. Let me think about that for a second. But I'm trying to think of one that, you know, was really pivotal. Well, so I do think, I mean, going back to, you know, I don't know if this was a failure, but it really, I think it really was a turning point. So, I mean, going back and thinking about, you know, I started out with a degree in psychology and uh, I was definitely on a different path um, before I decided to go back and get my social work degree. And I don't know that maybe it's not a failure so much, but um, there was a definite turning point. Um, You know, I got my bachelor's degree and I started out in the business world and I I had some aspirations there. I mean, I worked for a, um, a good company where I had opportunities for promotion. Um, But really, I mean, everything in my life, I just, I ended up moving to a different place. Um, I started a new career um, and I don't know that it was a, um, a failure necessarily, but there was a period of my life when I was in my mid twenties that it was a complete, um, you know, it was a 180 from the path that I was on for certain. Um, you know, I moved from Northern Kentucky to, to Central Kentucky. I changed my career path. I went back to school. I mean, I really did completely uh, turn my life in, in a different direction altogether. Um, and I don't know that it, I, I'm not sure I would call it a failure, but I would say that all of that happened because of a lack of a sense of purpose. And so I felt like, you know, I was lacking a sense of purpose. Um and I, I needed to feel like there was purpose. And so I've changed a lot about my life, you know, in a probably 18 month period of time. And it set me on the path that I have followed ever since. So let's let's lighten it up a little bit. Now, let me ask you, what's your go to order from your favorite restaurant? Hmm. Well, the restaurant that we well, OK, I have to say this. So I am a big fan of Mexican. <laughs> okay. I am not a big fan of any of the Mexican restaurants in Georgetown. Mm. So um, we end up going, we do like to um, eat at local and support local restaurants. So we end up eating at Galvin's uh, in Georgetown quite a bit. That's kind of our go-to place. And I actually have probably three. (laughs) I have three things that I rotate so one is the one is the veggie stromboli, one is the grilled chicken salad. Um, those are probably my two my two big ones that I get from there. But we do support the local restaurants in in Georgetown. Everybody out there listening, please support local restaurants and businesses. I will tell you what I'm missing them um, is uh, Aranda's in Frankfurt. Mm. So that's that's my lunchtime fra- favorite. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when I get to work in Frankfurt, and then it's chicken fajitas every time. There's not a second option. <laughs> right. So now let's bring it back to the home. What would be your culinary specialty in regards to your kids and your husband saying, "Okay, this is what they want you to cook." So uh, the one thing, so there's, it's hard to get uh, agreement among the three uh, boys in the house. Um, (laughs) But the one thing that they all agree on is homemade chicken noodle soup. 
So I get lots of requests for homemade chicken noodle soup. Okay, now I know everybody's different with this. Now I think, if I'm not mistaken, we eat grilled cheese with our chicken noodle soup. What do y'all eat with y'all's chicken noodle soup? We don't. We just have the chicken noodle soup. Really? We grilled cheese. Yeah. I, well, I don't know yeah. if that's... I, I'm not going to say it's surprising or not because I don't know a lot of people's traits in regards to the chicken. I know we eat grilled cheese with ours, though, so... <laughs> I would eat grilled cheese with it. Yeah. That sounds good. <laughs> So, so let me ask you, what are you reading right now? I am reading um, Just Mercy. So I'm almost finished with it. Now, give me a little insight on that. Who's the author in this fiction or nonfiction? It, it, it's Brian uh, Stevenson. And I think there was a, I'm pretty sure that there was a movie um, that was made. Um, and it is nonfiction. Now, are you a old school reader or are you an audible book? I am an old school reader, so much so that it took me a while to shift from like the hold your book, hold the book in your hand to I do read on my iPad now, um, but it took me a while to make that shift. So are you a TV person? Uh, I'm not, not, I, historically I would have said no. I am more so since, um, since the pandemic hit. So tell me that one show that you embarrassingly watch um well right now i'm watching ozark um i don't know if that's embarrassing or not it is dark it's a little <laughs> bit too dark probably <laughs> they have to find something lighter um i will tell you i also watch this is us uh, I will admit to you, though, and I probably wouldn't admit this to a lot of people, that I did watch Tiger King. <laughs> but, <laughs> we did, too. I had, I had to see what it was all about. And once you start, you can't stop. Right. <laughs> right. That's probably the most embarrassing thing I've watched recently. Yes. So let me ask you an ending um, with all the things that you've had going on in your life, the children, the family your career, what would you say to your 18-year-old self today? Oh, wow. These are some hard, <laughs> really introspective questions. Well, that's um, the purpose of the conversation. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. Um, so I think I would probably tell i've always been pretty hard on myself i still am but i've actually i've gotten better over the years i would probably tell my 18 year old self to to not be quite so hard on myself um i think that i you know over the years i've probably called, caused myself a lot of uh anxiety and pressure and um unrealistic expectations that probably were not necessary um that you know that made it a lot harder uh, for me than it really needed to be. So that would probably be my advice to my younger self is to not be so hard on myself. Chris, I want to thank you for taking the time to sit down with us. The conversation has been wonderful. Um, hopefully we'll get you back on again. I, I, I do have plans to have roundtables um, so we can bring other people on and just have conversations. Let's talk. Yes, that would be great. For everyone listening, Thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to subscribe, review, or leave a comment. And remember, while no single conversation is guaranteed to change the direction of a career, 
a business, a relationship, or a life, any conversation can.